Well, today I come to you as the backup, to the backup, to the backup. Uh, if it means anything to you, uh, Amanda and the kids fled to Florida. And I apologize, you guys didn't get the chance to do that too. Uh, Will, if you could pop up that James 1, 1 through 3, uh, if you're in your pew and you have a Bible or a phone with a Bible app, we're going to be going all the way through uh, chapter 1, hit missing on it, and because I am a backup, we don't have it on the screen for you. Uh, I'm glad we had a little fun at first because this is a, a very, very serious topic and it's a very serious discussion and uh, it should touch each of us this morning. So let's start by going to the Lord in prayer. Father God, you are the Lord of all. You're the Lord of truth. You are the Lord of wisdom. But most of all, you are the Lord of love. And we come before you this morning. I come before you unclean. And I come from a people of uncleanness. And uh, we don't wish to be that way, Lord. We are so grateful for the gift of Christ Jesus and his blood and his body, his sacrifice. Is overcoming the sin and death that is in this world. Because without that, there, there could be no serious, worthwhile hope. And yet, Lord, through the storm, he is Lord of all, the song says. And it reminds us that in the good times, you're Lord. But in the times that are not so good, in the times that are challenging, you are still Lord. Thank you, Father, for this gift of assurance. Thank you for James, the man that comes to us with your word that teaches us so much about how to take what's in the Bible and uh, transfer it into real Christian living in the everyday world. As we study your word today brought to us by James, we ask that you open our hearts and our minds and you give us the strength to look into the mirror that gives that perfect reflection and that we see what you would have us to see. In Christ's name, amen. I'm going to move back because otherwise I'm going to be hammering on this plate the entire morning. We've been talking about mirrors and we've been talking about um, mass, we've been talking about the walls of Jericho that we have in our lives. And I think of all the men of Scripture that touch me, there's probably, probably three that hit me most of all. Um, one is David, a man after God's heart, a, a man that had so many faults and had so many crises in his life. He had so many consequences for his own sin that he spent his entire life fighting through that. And yet, God still calls him a man after my heart. Another one is uh, Peter, because Peter always spoke first and acted first and thought later, maybe. 
and uh, that, that's very close to how I lived my life as I was younger and too often live it today. But the third man, the third man that touches me is James because James calls to me and he says something I used to say to my class all the time. So what? Okay? You know what scripture says. You understand what scripture means. So what? How are you going to bring it into your lives today? What are you going to do to become the man or the woman that God wants you to become? So James calls out to me. Uh, what, two decades ago? Uh, the Seekers class memorized the entire book of James and we came forward and we quoted it to you as a congregation uh, just to show you the importance of memorization. That passage that I memorized, James chapter 1, is something that sits on my heart all the time. So when God talked to the Israelites about writing it on their doorposts, on their foreheads, I think that's kind of what he meant. Keep it there always. We talked about masks that hide, mares that are funhouse mares that distort, and we've talked about those walls of Jericho last week for, for uh, how, we, how we have to tackle that kind of stuff. In 2019, as Josh said, we talked about it's okay not to be okay. And in 2020, we're rolling into and through, it's okay not to be okay, but it's not okay to stay there because God wants more for us. It's not okay to stay there. And I say, so what? James answers those questions. If we look to, yes, thank you. If we look to James chapter 1, it's written by a guy named James. And he is a fascinating man to me because he was the brother of Christ. He was an elder in the church of Jerusalem. And if I understand um, scripture correctly, he was the lead elder in the church of Jerusalem. And when he writes his letter, he doesn't say, hey, I'm James, brother to Christ. You know, I, I know the big guy. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, I am the chief of elders in the church of Jerusalem. He claims the highest title that a man or a woman can claim. He claims James, a servant of God uh, and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 2, he talks about the trials that we face, and I think it's important to us to look at his words and understand the fullness of what these very few words mean to us. He says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whatever you face trials of many kinds. And then verse 3, Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance in the NIV. Steadfastness here, it's the same thing. Pure joy, joy not dependent upon a worldly situation. Have you ever met somebody 
that you later find out has been going through huge amounts of trials that just don't ever end, and you had no idea? Some of that is the mask. Much of it is the mask. But in that group of people, you will find true believers. And what we see there is pure joy. A joy that they can have even in the midst of trials. Notice it's addressed to Christians. Brothers and sisters. Notice it's addressed to all Christians. And notice that it says, whenever. Whenever is a, is a big word in this passage because whenever says, it's going to happen. And it implies it's going to happen more than once. This is not a one and done thing, this trial business. We're all going to have it. We're all going to have it multiple times in life. We should expect trials. We should expect even more trials as Christians struggling to put our faith into a walk. See, faith is not a vaccine against trials. Faith is more of a therapeutic. It helps us deal with the trials we go through in life so we can not focus on the trial but can focus on living. That's faith. My first experience with this, um, we'll talk about in a minute, but I don't think we can doubt that testing really does eventually work into perseverance if, if we learn anything from our testing. If we don't learn anything from our testing, guess what? We're probably going to be tested again and again and again because God has something in there that he wants us to get. Now, when Satan tests us, where does he go? He goes to the place we're most weak. It's a natural thing. Hit the easiest target, and that's what he does. The promise of Scripture is that if you beat him the first time, if you can, with the help of the Spirit, whip Satan in that area the first time, it'll be a little easier the next time. Doesn't say that we will whip it the next time, but each time we win, each time we experience victory, our faith grows a little bit, and that little kernel of faith becomes bigger and stronger in our life. And guess what? Eventually, if we defeat him enough times, he'll move on. I'm not saying he'll move to somebody else, but he'll probably move on to another area. By definition, that place, you're not as weak as you were in the first one. When we talk about endurance, that's what we're talking about. Okay? We're talking about learning victory that God's already won for us through Christ, accepting that we have it, and living our lives fully because of it. I talked about my first experience. What's funny is, the guy in this story, I cannot remember his first name. 
I remember his brother's first name. Go figure. He was a clay ball. When I was working in Shelby as a young man, uh, worked at a company called GAF. It was Shelby Business Forms back there. And every single noon, we went down into the rec room and played ping pong. And I was good. I, I, back then, I was good. Now, I probably couldn't even see the ball. But back then, I was good. And this guy started coming down. And he had the world's most wicked underspin. I couldn't get the ball back and keep it on the table. And every day, he would come down, and he would whip me after I've beaten everybody else. And we would play. Eventually, people got to love and to watch. And we would play the entire lunchtime. And I'd get beat every single time. But each time, I kind of learned something, mostly about myself. Hey, I can react fast enough to do that. Hey, oh. I got 12 points in this game. Wow. Eventually, I beat him. And you know, the very first time I beat him, I never lost again. That's not how real life is, OK? Why did I win and then never lose again? He wouldn't play me anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. See, life is kind of like that and kind of not like that. When we win. We get stronger, and people do recognize that. But more important, God and Satan both recognize it too. Verse 4 takes that thought even further. Verse 4 says, Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. Gollies, that, that, that's my goal. I want God to make me mature and complete so I don't lack anything. Well, I'm not talking about money. I'm not talking about goods. I'm not talking about anything of the world. I'm talking about not lacking anything to be the servant God calls me to be. That's what he, he's talking about here. Not lacking anything. Can you imagine being comfortable tackling anything God puts in front of you? Whether it be trial or testimony. I mean, I, you know, trial, I think people deal with better be, than testimony because trial, you really don't get a choice about, do you? Trial, you either face it or you run. There's just not much other you can do. Testimony for me has always been hard, which is why being up here is crazy nerve-wracking for me. Yeah. That's not the good part. The good part comes next. Verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. I think that's one of the greatest promises in Scripture. Hey, you don't know what the answer is. Ask God. And if you ask God, he promises he will deliver. It may not be in a way you can accept because we're human and we're limited and we always want to help God. We want to pray in a specific way for a specific answer and God's saying, no, that's, that's just a little answer. I want to do this bigger than that. But he will not answer in action until 
it's the right time, and it's the right answer. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Is that not the way to walk through real life? You know, how can you have joy in the middle of trials that James speaks of in verse 2? Why would you have joy in the middle of those trials? If you find yourself asking that, read James 1.5. Ask for wisdom, I will give it to you, I promise. And I will not find fault. And I give generously. You don't have joy? Find it. Don't know how? Ask. And the promise is, it will be given to you. Knock and the door will be open. So when you're so far down, you can't see up. When you've been beaten up so badly by life and things just don't seem to go away, read James 1.5. When I read this passage preparing for this morning, it immediately made me think of Romans 8.28 because they go hand in hand. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. And you know there's no easy button in that either. God doesn't say, just believe and I'll work it all out and everything will be good for you in this world. That's not what He says. He says it will work to the good. Well, what's God concerned about? Is he interested in you paying bills each month? Uh, maybe a little bit, okay? He's much more interested in the condition of your spirit. He's more interested in your focus. So why doesn't this always work? Because we all know it doesn't work. Does, does God go to sleep? Does he get colds in his ears so he can't quite hear us when we pray? We know better, don't we? So when this doesn't work, he hasn't missed our request for wisdom. And sometimes we fail tests because no matter what our prayers are, our heart condition is, I got this, Lord. Read James 1, 5. And he says, no, I've got this. Let me. Sometimes we fail tests because, well, let's be frank. If we fight alone, there is no Christian who can defeat Satan. We don't have the power. We cannot do it. We can only defeat Satan if the Holy Spirit is fighting the fight for us. That's it. Otherwise, we're lost. No chance. And sometimes God says, stay where you're at for a while. It's not the right timing. And that's the tough answer. That's a really tough one. We can end up learning from losing two ways. We can end up learning hopelessness. Or we can end up learning healthiness. And it's our choice. 
I've known people that fight the same battle and the same battle and the same battle and the same battle and lose, 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 and it was me. I, <laughs> it's confession time, I guess. Mask off. If, if you haven't been in my class, you probably haven't heard this, but um, most of you know me well enough at this point. I think you probably know. I fought a huge battle with temper when I was young. I was one of the world's most out-of-control people. And that lasted into my teen years, and it lasted way longer than it should have. Until one day I chased my... The kids aren't here. I can share this. Uh, I, I chased my big sister out of the house with a butcher knife about this long, and I'm not sure what I would have done if I'd caught her. You talk about being scared. She was. But I was more scared. And I had made a point that I was not going to get mad. Months before that. And it just plain didn't work. So I decided that, you know, I can't do this. And I'm not willing to be the guy that I'm, I am right now. I'm just not willing. And I put it into my daily prayer. And every single day I prayed for up until recent years, and then it becomes um, more of an every other day type thing because there's, there's so much I, I have to include. Uh, but it, it became a daily prayer thing. And it was probably four or five years later that I realized I cannot remember the last time I lost my temper. See, sometimes God answers our prayers in his own way, on his own timetable, and we only see it looking backwards. If you don't know, read James 1.5. Now, don't misunderstand, okay? There are people in this room today that are fighting trials, battling trials that seem like they've gone on forever. They're going to go on forever and there's no hope. No hope is a bad, bad frame of mind to be in, isn't it? It may be that there's no hope of that trial ending but it's not true that there's no hope because God gives grace. Read James 1.5. If you don't know where you're at, if you don't know what the answer is, read James 1.5. It still applies. Let's look at 6 through 8 real quickly here as we get along here. There is... Um, a condition to this whole thing. And, and like many of God's promises, there's a condition, and it's a condition of faith. Verse 6, But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. 
that person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Notice, in all they do, it carries over, it carries through, it carries beyond. It carries around, over, under, unbelief and faith are as opposite ends. Do I really believe? Am I really willing to walk around Jericho and look like an idiot? Am I willing to do it seven times? Is this trial really important for me to have victory over? What what am I supposed to learn? How much do I want that joy that James speaks about in verse 2? Read James 1.5. Pray about it. Contemplate it. And then live it. How do we be sure, though, that we're not deceived? That house of mirrors that we've talked about I mean, you know what you're getting back. It's not really you. In a fun house, it's, it's hilarious. But in real life, it's really sad. Because if you look at the same image day after day after day after day, it becomes truth to you. And the deceit that Satan inflicts upon our lives is cruel. And that's not what God wants. For us, he doesn't want us to say, stay, not okay. So he gives us a gift. It's called discernment. It is a gift of the Holy Spirit. And you know what? You know how you apply discernment? Read James 1 5. Read James 1 5. The word that we talk about in this passage. Verse 22, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But, Whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. See, with, with all things of faith, it, it seems to me that it's, it's, not, it's not complex. It really isn't. It's just hard. Most of the stuff that God tells us is really simple stuff. Read James 1.5. But we have a difficult time making the rubber of our faith hit the road of life. Read James 1.5. The Spirit of Christ is our power. It's our power for daily living. It's our power for getting that rubber on the road. It's our power for beating 
the tricky mirrors that distort everything around us. It's our power in darkness. It's our power of life itself. And we leave it on the shelf. Guys, we're bad at it. I mean, of all the gifts of the Spirit that I can think of, the gift of discernment is the one I see God's children using the least. Now, maybe it's just because it's the one I use the least. And I'm aware of it. But it's becoming a thing. Read James 1.5, Tom. Read James 1.5. Live James 1.5, Tom. Reach out, grasp it, hold it to you. See, it's okay not to be okay. None of us are. But God doesn't want us to stay there. And he gives us the tools to not stay there. So this morning, consider your life and where you're at. Read James 1.5 and pray about it. And take the answer and put the rubber on the road in a way that works for you. And if it doesn't work first time, read James 1.5 and pray about it again. Because God promises good things come and his gifts are perfect. Not pretty good, perfect. From the Father above who gives perfect gifts. Let's not be defeated by ourselves when Satan cannot defeat us in the spirit. Let's depend upon the strength that God gives us and let's read, pray, live, and act. James 1.5. Let's go to the Lord. Father, this is tough. This is really hard stuff because... You have made it so simple. And we want to find every way we can to wiggle out of the call that you give us. We know it's a good thing, but it's just so hard to leave the habits of defeat behind. So, Lord, we ask, give us the strength to look into that mirror, that perfect mirror that reflects you in that perfect way. And let's bring you and your gift of discernment into our lives and accept the victory that you've already won for us. Death, where is your victory? Our trials are the result of sin in the world. Lord, we we cannot get rid of sin, but you do give us the gifts to overcome and be victorious over it and over the trials that stem from it. Thank you, Lord Jesus.